say hello and gamma joba to halftime at midnight again. This is your podcast about Georgian football in English. My name is Amir, and with me, as usual, my good friend and also co-host, Kahi. Hi, Kahi. Hi, Amir, and hi, everybody. We hope, first of all, that you've had a great start of the year 2021, finally. Also, it has been now two weeks since we released the first episode, and it has been received with wonderful reactions. 12 countries in three different continents have so far listened to the, to the show. So thank you all for your support, for sharing our content, for sharing your comments and sending us messages. As promised in our first episode, we'll be having a lot of nice surprises to all of you guys. And actually, one of them starts today already. Doesn't it, Amir? Yes. Yes, it does, actually. And uh, I'm personally really, really excited about this episode because we are joined by a guest who, first of all, he speaks better English than both of us, but he also works in the football industry. And uh, actually, one of the countries he's been working in uh, recently is in Georgia. And I'm talking about, from England, Daryl Willard. First of all, Daryl, then thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, and I'm ha- and you know, happy new year, everyone. And hopefully we can uh, have a, a good talk about everything. Absolutely. That's the plan today. But before we kind of jump straight into that, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, maybe in your own words, uh, and a bit about your footballing background and, you know, uh, basically the path up until this point. Yeah, well, I started, um, I was a player like everyone else and I played um, sort of amateur football and about 16 years old, I I wanted to start coaching. So um, during my playing, I, I, I got into coaching and I, I realised I actually preferred coaching than playing which is quite rare um although I loved playing it was the coaching that really took over and um I got my badges pretty quickly my level two and my level three um and then about 18 um I I got an opportunity to work at Chelsea Football Club uh, just working at sort of development centres and uh I was very fortunate enough to to already start my career working with some very sort of high profile in England uh, sort of youth developers, sort of guys like uh, Damien Matthews who used to play for Chelsea and um, and uh, ironically at the centre I was at I was working with young boys um, called Rubens Loftus Cheek who who's who's managed to play for England, who plays for Crystal Palace, Tammy Abraham, who was about six, seven years old, who plays up front for Chelsea, um, and and many, many others. Um, So I had a great uh, opportunity to start coaching and learn and and develop myself. Um, Then uh, after six years, I stayed there six years, um, again, uh, Brendan Rodgers, who we all know, he was under 16 coach at Chelsea. So, you know, I, ha- I had opportunities to sort of learn and develop off these people. Um, but after six years, I got the opportunity to work at Tottenham. Um, and I thought it was sort of the time was right for me. Um, so I, I went for a couple of years at Tottenham in the academy, um, you know, and uh, I worked through the ages. Um, and then all of a sudden, just quickly, all of a sudden, I got a phone call. 
I was 27 at the time. Um, got a phone call from Tony Adams out the blue. Tony Adams, former England and Arsenal captain. And, and he said he's going to Azerbaijan. Do I want to go with him? Um, so I said yes. Um, and and really, I you know, in, very quickly, I spent six years there. I spent two years at Gabala and I was a sporting director for the Football Association of Azerbaijan. Um, and that really brings me on to my tale of Georgia. Okay, thank you very much about that, Daryl. Just one question. Um, did you know about Georgian football before? I mean, there were a, a couple of Georgian players who used to play in the 90s in the Premier League. Uh, were you familiar to them or their style? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, players like King Kladze, he sort of was a bit of an inspiration to me um, as a young coach because that was the type of player that I wanted to develop. Um, and that was a player that England didn't develop uh, for, for, for generations. Um, so these sort of players were, were exceptional and we had, a, we had obviously many others like Ketsbyer, etc. And Avaladza went to Rangers. So, yes, I, I, I knew the potential one. But when I was in Azerbaijan, I got to know Georgian football uh, a little bit because teams came over, uh, maybe during pre-season and youth teams came over. Um, but I also got, a, a, in 2014, I actually had a job offer from Dinama. Uh, so I actually spent um, uh, a few days uh, within Dinama Academy um, and, uh, and sort of learning a lot about the... The, the football and the culture, etc. Then, great. I mean, but also, um, I'm I'm having a, a just a quick question on that uh, topic. Basically, would you say since you know you've been in different countries, you come from England and Azerbaijan, and then and then Georgia. I'm wondering because we often perceive countries having a different, uh, say, traits such as Brazil. They tend to be, you know, possess uh, finesse and flair. Sweden, uh, in, in my case, they possess, you know, uh, organization, tactics, stamina. What would you say is the Georgian trait? Well, uh, looking back to, to when I was younger, I would have said it was a, the technical ability. Um, it was the ability to sort of uh, 1v1s and a bit of street football, really. Um, so that was something that I would definitely uh, associate with Georgian football back then. Did that change over time as you sort of did your first steps into it? Yeah, I mean, uh, it it wasn't. It definitely when when I went to to work in Georgia, it, it definitely wasn't the same feel. Uh, and I think that the that they've maybe uh, uh, gone off that path uh, for one reason and another. And uh, I I, th I definitely think that's something that needs to come back. Absolutely. But then we can sort of. Rewind the bill uh, just a tiny bit there, and now since you have moved country, uh, obviously I've done it myself as well. So I know that when you move to a new country, it comes with some challenges. And you know, as you're going from a more developed country like the UK uh, through Azerbaijan and then to Georgia, do you have any sort of stories to to share? And you know, maybe something that shocked you in particular, or something which was vastly different. Um. Not really. I mean, uh, I, I think the thing that gets everyone that, that travels to Georgia is the, uh, is the traffic, is the driving. Um, 
that that's definitely such a such a, a culture shock to everybody. Um, but uh, other than that, I thought yeah, I just it was such a a, a beautiful country, uh, beautiful people, and um, somewhere where where it's uh, it's very close to my heart. Daryl, besides the traffic, and I want to go back to football. I apologize about that, but we have a, all of us. We have a huge interest on your first uh, kind of impression of of everything. I mean, you're you're coming from from the from possibly the most uh, the best developed country in football. You know, meaning facilities, players, uh, programs, and then you go to Georgia, which is kind of saying uh, on on its first steps. How was like the first day when you met the group, like when you saw the facilities, uh, the football quality, how was your first impression? It was, it was fine. It was, it was fine. You, what, you know, what you need to understand is I worked in, I've worked all over the world. So I've worked in places like Nigeria and I've worked in Ghana. Mm -hmm. I've worked in South Korea, just Eastern Europe. I've worked everywhere and, I actually thought the facilities were were okay. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the Georgian coaches were killing the facilities. They were like, oh, you know, this is no good, this is no good. And I was like, well, actually, I've been in worse worse environments. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was it, it was too bad. And, um, you know, I think it was, uh, I think there's everything there really, to, you know, to to develop good footballers. But, like, when you come into a group like this in a foreign country, and in this case you entered Lokomotivi, so what's the first thing you do when you, you go to your first day at the job and basically you're about to meet the group for the first time? What do you push on in particular? Like, do you, how do you introduce them to follow you and... Uh, how do you make sure that they take part of your philosophy in a way that is going to make the whole journey work, so to speak? Yeah, I think um, th- that is a tough one. I think I think what's really important is to be a people person, um, you know, is to not go in there like, like some coaches do and they go into a different environment and they try to be like a... Um, you know, with this really strong handshake and and like a bit of a school teacher, really, and and sort of put a bit of fear into people, and I I, I don't think that's good. I think you know it's to the the first impressions is to sort of make everyone relaxed and and um, really get there get straight away, so they understand that you're there to work with them uh, and not to be there you know, sort of dictator and, and, and not to be that, that sort of uh, brash person. And, you know, you're there to help them and, and you want to work with them to, to develop them as much as you can, really. And, yeah, so I'd say it's about relaxing people. Did you struggle with the language, Daryl? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the alphabet is, is the biggest the biggest key because... You know, when I was in Azerbaijan, I actually learned the language in two years and I was able to communicate very well. And, uh, but that's because I could read um, read the language. And, you know, the alphabet was is obviously very, very tough. Um, so, uh, yes, I did, but I was very fortunate to have uh, good English-speaking uh, Georgian football people next to me. Uh-huh. So I was very lucky. 
And let's not forget the the generation coming up now speak English as well. So even when I was speaking to the under 10s or the under 11s, I would say 60, 70% spoke English. That's that's really high number then. I mean, uh, I didn't expect it to be that high because uh, I, I would really imagine like first day you have to first come up you know, climb across the whole language barrier to get your ideas through uh, completely. But as you say, it's a, it's a young generation which nowadays are more acquainted with, with, with the English language. Um, Correct. Yeah. Through that way, it's it, it's it's a lot easier to kind of get your ideas through. But like, do you also think that there was a certain extra motivation? Because I can imagine that not all of the Georgian football teams, you know, under nineteen teams have foreign coaches who comes with new fresh ideas and a new style of leadership do you think that it was also that you had them on your side from day one because it's new exciting and sort of fresh um maybe yeah i i i do i think they were inquisitive and they were like okay so you know we're excited but what's this going to bring i think there was a bit of uh trepidation uh, a bit of nervousness from them um you know, and I think it took about three to four weeks for them to really fully come on board with what I was trying to do and my objectives. And but, but believe me, once once it once they once it clicked, they were all on board and we were all together, and it was fantastic. Um, and that the one thing I will say about Georgian people, Georgian footballers, is they want to learn um, and. I've been in places all around the world where they don't want to learn, um, uh, and it's the most important thing in the world. And it was a, it was a, a, an amazing experience. Daryl, as consequence of the, of that comment, uh, and it's it's pretty good that at least we have the ambition, and and it's great that you saw that ambition in younger talents. But I, actually, I have a, a third question. It has been going in circles in my mind, so I'll try to explain it. Mm. Um, well, usually, uh, and I've been kind of following Georgian football uh, for the, let's say, for the day we, we got the independence. Usually when we have these painful defeats in football, which is unfortunately most of the time, you know, either our national team, Georgian club uh, in foreign tournaments, or even Georgian players abroad on single stages, the coaches and everybody involved in our football usually blame the so-called Georgian mentality. So apparently they describe it as a lack of concentration, a lack of hunger, and a lack of physical preparation or a biotype existing problem. So in this time, kind of working with Georgian football, have you seen any of this? Or maybe you could have your own explanation or definition of, of so-called Georgian mentality in, in this sport? Yeah, definitely. I, I I think from day one, I said, I was saying to my translator, what is this? Um, <laughs> basically, I was speaking to coaches and, I was, uh, 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 and we're talking sort of 35, 40-year-old plus people and anything I was suggesting at the time, they were like, uh, you can't do that because this is Georgia. Um, and I was like, I was looking to my translator. I was like, what? What did he just say? And, he, and my translator was sort of <laughs> laughing because he he sort of, uh, he spoke very good English. He, he, he And he knew exactly what I was thinking. Um, 
especially in the first few times, it was things that I suggested. It was, oh, we can't push them too much or we can't run, uh, sorry, we can't, the intensity of training sessions can't be too high because this is Georgia. And I was like, I'm, and I was saying to coaches in the, in the first week, in the first few days, and they didn't know me and I didn't know them. And I was like, it's absurd. I was like, you're, you, you are putting yourself down. You're putting your people down. You're stopping the, your people, your children reaching their potential because you're just saying, if it gets tough, don't worry, we're Georgian. And I, I found that very bizarre. And over time, we got that, you know, I banned it. I, and I, I was very strict with the coaches about that. And, you know, uh, we're all human beings. We're all from the same place. And, and we all the, have the same sort of uh, limitations, if you like, you know. And it's up to us to uh, to sort of, uh, especially football, let's take football, you know, it's up to us to, to push the boys as much as we can. Okay, yeah, so yeah. go ahead, Amy. Sorry. No, no worries. But I, w- I was just kind of curious to say because, uh, as per when 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 we spoke last time, I got the impression that uh, one of the most important changes that you did, Daryl, at Lokomotivi was to, like I said, raise the bar uh, and become a more professional club. Let's say erase the erase the bullshit. So, uh, mm-hmm. like to use straight words, yeah. how is that done more concretely, like in practice? Yeah, I think it, I think it's done from right from the start. So um, I think it's done about timekeeping. I think it's if you're late for the bus, what's your punishment? I think it's you know uh, you know how how do you get off the bus and get in the change room, get changed, and get onto the pitch? Are you always the last one or the first one on the pitch? Are you the one that you know? your your effort and your drive during training your intensity during training or are you the last or the first one off the training pitch and it was about really it was about educating the the boys how important that is and the the group that I'd worked with had never ever ever spoken about things like that and I think when you put in you know what children are like when you put in any kind of structure, whether it's a eight year old, a six year old, a nineteen year old. If you put in any kind of structure, uh, a routine, and this is the level, this is the standard that you you need. Um, uh, it's amazing. It's just incredible the amount of 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 players, should we say, that 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 really took it on board and uh, and worked with me. And it translates on the pitch. It translates onto the football pitch during matches. It translates everywhere when when they go home. And it, you know, it's really important. And you need that. You need that um, that structure and that discipline. Um, but you also need a you need a, a kinder side as well. That you know, you, you that the the boys know that you know the, there's a bit of a laugh and a joke moment as well. Um, and that's what they get. Yeah, and Beryl, how much material, like prime material, did you have to work? I mean, how the recruiting works exactly? Do the clubs kind of make their open seasons to hunt talents, or do they have these kind of scouts working in regions? Or how is this exactly in, in the lower in the lower divisions? 
Well, I think you've got, um, you've got to understand that obviously I went out there in July during obviously the height of COVID. So things were very different um, as it would be normally. But um, I think, to be honest, the GFF and Dynamo uh, at the moment have, have sort of like carte blanche of, of the country and the, the best talent. You know, they, they do because the GFF Academy have their own academy. And they scout mm-hmm. the regions, uh, and Dynamo obviously have their own sort of feeder clubs, if you like, which is which is great, and that's what you need to have. Um, we were just putting in a scouting system. Um, we were bringing on our first head scout for the academy, and it was uh, it was all looking good, um, you know. So uh, you know, it's uh, at the moment it's Dynamo and, and the GFF Academy. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm I'm quite curious about a very hyped uh, name uh, at the moment, though, but because you two belong to the same uh, organization, uh, I'm, I'm I'm obviously targeting here uh, Georgi Chiarbishvili in this case. Um, he's a name on many people's minds and lips and articles at uh, at this point in time, and you know linked with uh, let's say national team discussions and whatnot, because he's a different type of leader. I mean, could you see this kind of working in the same club, or like how was your like personal relation really yeah my personal personal relationship with with cheer was fantastic um he's very open he's his doors always open and you know I, uh, you know also socially we we, we had a, a few meets together as well and um he's very very forward thinking um and he's a workaholic as well um he would uh he's a hard taskmaster you know so if you're working under him you would be working uh a long long shift every single day um you know some days i i heard that they were get, getting out of the training ground ground at 11 12 o'clock at night um having been in there sort of you know nine ten o'clock in the morning and uh he's very thorough um he's uh he's got his own philosophy uh, he's a very intelligent guy. Listen, he's he's one of the best that I met, um, and um, I think he can go as far as he wants to go. Would you say even internationally in this case? Uh, absolutely. Why not? Why not? A very intelligent guy, um, and, and why not? Yeah. While on the team, uh, like now that we're talking about Lokomotivi, I just want to hear, like, in your own words, because you were part of the organization who carried the Georgian flag through Europe with, you know, the biggest pride, while the other teams uh, had disaster experiences in Europe. So how was that like to belong to that to that kind of organization and to see the results? Or would you say that the results were, like, not surprising because you know very well the mentality in the club and so um listen it was it was just a an incredible experience for everyone and um you know in football you need luck um you need that that bit of rubber the green that goes your way the the bounce the ricochet that goes your way and and uh, you know locomotive had that and they they beat cry over in the first round and it was a, an incredible achievement to beat them alone um, but they were well worth it as well. Uh, you know, it could have been a lot more, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, 
to get to get Dynamo Moscow in the in the second round. I was just uh, so upset that the fans weren't allowed in to see it, but um, the club uh, the club done the players and the management and the club and etc. They done everyone proud, the country proud, um, and uh, I, I think Moscow turned up with a bit of a, an arrogance that it's little old Georgia. Um, you know, and I, I think yeah. uh, I think they got found out really. Um, so uh, it was uh, an unbelievable achievement and something that people will never forget. If it's not too, like too too personal, uh, like do can you imagine or do you know what was the focus against? Uh, you know, all these let's say superior opponents. Like were they super well scouted or like you say? different kind of preparations compared to, let's say, other Georgian clubs who went out against, you know, uh, teams from Faroe Islands and these kind of opposition. What did you say did differently in order to... Well, you've got to be, um, you've got to be realistic and you've got to, as a coach, you've got to know who you are. Um, and we were locomotive to Belisi and we were playing teams with maybe 10 times our budget famous teams really famous teams and uh, so do you, do you go out there and play a possession based game and go and attack and leave yourself open at the back or, or do you actually be sensible um, and go and sort of sit back a bit make it hard to concede and go and hit them on the counter attack when we've got you know we had some very very quick players um, and that, to be honest, that's exactly what happened in the Cryova match and in the Moscow match. It was counter-attacking. Um, and, uh, you know, we got the... Uh, uh, Chia got the tactics spot on. The players were knew their jobs and it worked. And, you know, what sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And that's football. Yeah, speaking about tactics, Daryl, and this this is a question that just comes to my mind. Uh when the players, I mean, when you have these young players, you already you worked with 19, under 19, they already knew the basics of the football strategy or how was the pre-formation of, this, of these young boys? Did they know about like uh, the football mentality itself or you had to go all the way from zero or, or how was your experience on this side? Yeah, I think um, the boys had a very set way of playing, a set, set mentality, if you like, and that comes through uh probably the mentality of the coaches uh, you know maybe the education they've been through as well so yes i did have to te- teach them uh, a new style of football new style of coaching new style of working um so it was a lot it was it was a lot of it was totally new to them um but they like i said to you before they were very excited by it and they they just lapped it up. They were like sponges. They just wanted every bit of information, and it was incredible. And you know, it was uh, we've we, preseason just started again for the first team, and we've got two players, a seventeen uh, and an eighteen-year-old, who have gone from the under nineteens uh, straight into the first team squad. So it was uh, it was a, a great great year for them. Yeah, and 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 also, did you see kind of uh, well? That's that's great that you had a great year. But I also wanted to know your perception of the rest of the clubs because I I know they were your rivals at the moment. But uh, like, uh, did you see like when you were facing to each other? Did you see that they 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 kind of struggled with the same problems as you were, 
like it, it was like an overall situation for all of them, or it was uh, kind of depending on conditions and status and situations. Yeah, I did. I did see that, and uh, maybe I'm wrong. Actually, maybe you know because I I was in Georgia yeah. six months, but um, yeah. from from what I saw was was pretty much um, a lot of the coaches were the same. A lot of the teams played the same. You know, it was high pressing, and and once you know that it's it, once you know what you're coming up against, it was a lot easier to prepare for. To prepare your players to play against them, um, you know, um, I, th- I think uh, individuality in coaches and individuality in footballers is is starting to lack in Georgia. And while we are speaking about the league itself, and uh, when it comes to you now Edvnoli Liga teams' opponents, I know you, Darren, you've been a bit critical to the. Uh, when it comes to the facilities, as in uh, the pitches in, in particular, despite, you know, sometimes I think I do agree with you that the quality sometimes, you know, really lack. But I do see also the, the kind of new incentive now on the, when it comes to all the new initiatives that they've, you know, the GFF, they have now built several new, uh, you know, uh, pitches around the country. But do you think that somehow it was forgotten that you also must maintain the few that you had before? And that's why the quality is sort of lacking. Yeah, listen, I, I I don't know the the plans of the GFF, and I can only go and see what you know I I actually saw for myself. And uh, it's okay building all these fantastic, unbelievable stadiums, but if the grass is rubbish, if the ground is rubbish, and what's the point? Um, I would rather have a beautiful turf, beautiful pitch, and a small stadium. Personally, um, you know. I think uh, I think they the the national team what they played on um, in there against Macedonia was terrible, and that was what was that a Dynamo Stadium? Um, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah uh, that was that was embarrassing. Um, I, I, you know, this is a biggest it's the biggest game for thirty forty years. Why have you not got an unbelievable uh, uh, grass pitch? Why? Why? Just like but why? Were there other stadiums with better in, in better shape? Like, no, were there they other weren't. Though. They weren't. That's the problem. Like Batumi have uh, Batumi have got this unbelievable stadium, which any Premier League club in England would be proud of. Their grass pitch is horrible. It was it was like a Sunday League pitch in London, and I think it's embarrassing. And I think I, I do know. What I do know is Batumi are working hard to rectify that. I do know that. Um, and that's fair play to them because they recognise the problem. Um, but but uh, Locomotive first team, they played on um, they played on the pitch, uh, the what is it, the GFF pitch or whatever, the against Dilagori last game of the season. And basically if if Locomotive didn't lose, they would have qualified for Europe and they lost two one. The pitch was the pitch was something that I played on at school when I was about eight years old. It's just it's just horrendous, and they can locomotive are a passing team. They're a possession team. They're a quick playing team. They couldn't pass the ball. The and what it turned out was the day before the GFF national women's team, or girls team, were training on the pitch. 
We're doing uh, training on the pitch before our game. It's just ludicrous. It's I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. Like, you know, it's just horrendous pitch. And, you know, we can't, you can't blame the weather. You can't blame the... You've got Azerbaijan next door. Who The grass pitches are absolutely stunning. They're beautiful. Why? Because they went and got expertise in and they spent money on it. Now, my question is, how are you supposed to bring supporters to the ground? How are you supposed to develop good footballers if you can't even have a good football pitch? And I think that's something yeah. that, that's, for me, it was... I just couldn't under. I just still can't understand it. I don't even know what to say about that, Derek. To be honest, uh, but it's obvious that maturity and expertise is lacking an organizational level. And I'm, I'm really sorry about that. But besides all what you said, it's it, it's quite important. You mentioned something really important, <laughs> and I guess you should you should have mentioned it. But the national team, we had the last year possibly the most important match in our history as independent country um, first of all I want to uh, I want to ask you as as a coach what do you think about Weiss and and how he developed during the last year I'm not sure if you followed him before that and also I wanted to ask you how was the environment like in, in the football media during this match before and after and how would you kind of uh, How would you kind of give a or which which kind of number from one to ten would you give to the national team's performance in that very much against North Macedonia? Well, I think um, let's go to Vice. Really, I think I think um, uh, I think the statistics show that actually he'd done a very very good job in the ten year that he was there. He was the most successful coach for years and years. Um, so I think it's very unfair that to put all the blame, which which a lot of media did on him. Um, you know, I think um, that we we have to look deeper, and it's it's it goes to show really about the the level of footballers that he had to to work with. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is Georgia, and I say that you know in the ironic phase where at the start of this podcast it was about or the spot this the speak was about this is Georgia the coach is using it I'm saying it the other way this is Georgia this is Georgia that produced world-class footballers 20 25 years ago um, why are they not producing it now um, and that goes deeper and that goes to under seven-year-olds, under-eights, under-nines, under-tens, under-elevens. What are they doing? What are the clubs doing? And it's not good enough and um, it's very easy to rectify. Um, and the facts are that, that Georgia as a country need to produce better footballers and more technical players. Um, yeah, and... Uh, I've actually forgotten your other questions, so if you can remind yeah, but it, it, me. Yeah, it wasn't specifically about the match, about the match against North Macedonia. Yeah. Well, I think it was. It come down to creativity. I, I don't see players really that can one v one with a ball. Uh, so, look, England, England. Whatever you say about England, and um, 
you know, they they fail at national team level every single time, and they'll probably do that in the future. But we produce good footballers, and we're in a generation where we are producing constantly good one v one footballers and creative footballers. So let's just have a look at what. England are doing now with Marcus Rashford, Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham. Uh, it's just, the list go, uh, Mason Greenwood. You know the list goes on with players that can run with the ball. Even the right backs, Trent Alexander, who can run with the ball, and these are all players that can run with the ball one v one, score goals, and and create in their club teams um, and create on their own and create on nothing. Um, I don't see that anymore with the Georgian national team. There's one player, excuse me, I've forgotten his name. He didn't play in that final game against Macedonia. He played in the, the games before. I think he had COVID. Um, yeah. He was ruled out of that Quar- game with COVID. Quar- maybe? He, he played in the sort of number 10 position, a tall player, but very creative. Um, oh. I think he plays outside of Georgia. I can't remember his name. Um, very good player, but the facts are you're not creating creative players anymore, and and that comes down to coaching, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been quite critical uh, when it comes to the national team, especially when it comes to the forward positions, because I think they're all too similar players. They're too tall, too static, no movement there. Uh, I think, I think you commented on on my tweet back in that time, Daryl, that uh, you. Th- I think you said that you believe that you think you know why, basically. Uh, do you remember your reasoning for what you would do to kind of change that, you know, get more yeah, get more quality players uh, to be developed? Yeah. And Listen, where does that start and what do you need to do? Yeah, it's, 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 it's very simple. Uh, it's not simple, but it is simple. It's Listen, 2000 and I think it was 2010, 2009, 2010, England had the same problem. Uh, for 40, 60 years with the same philosophies, same problems, the same ideology in the FA. And we sacked them all. Um, and we brought in a new ethos and it was about encouragement. It was about creativity. It was about um, cr- creating 1v1 players and creative players. Um, and uh, when I look at, when I when I went to Georgia, I saw the same problems. I saw... Uh, coaches trying to be robotic and because the coaches are robotic the players become robotic Uh, and now what you find is in the national team is a lot of robotic footballers Um, and it it, it all comes down to that 7 to 11 year old uh, age group you know uh, 12 to 16 year old age group it's about the coaches it's about how they develop footballers into good 1v1 footballers and good intelligent footballers who can score goals um, and I, you know I've seen for myself that it needs improving um, but you do have the players there that's that's the issue we at locomotive we, we set up a the sevens to elevens age group was just street football it was all about 1v1 scoring goals doing as many skills and as you can and it was beautiful to see um but it comes from the whole culture it comes from you know you've got to then calm the parents down that actually winning at under nine level means absolutely sweet nothing it means nothing 
who cares if Locomotive beat Savatalo at under nine level? Who really cares? Well, the parents do, and they shouldn't. You know, it's about the the players just being relaxed and playing football and doing skills and scoring goals. Yeah, so I think Georgia must hear then. Bring back the streets. That's a solution, in short. That's what we've done in Loco. That was my phrase. Bring, we are bringing back the streets. <laughs> that was, that that's was what I said. Awful. We are bringing the street back to Loco Academy. But do you also think that, you know, we did yesterday, I think we did a little bit about uh, the Iceland uh, concept, as Mm. in they are hiring full-time coaches uh, already at youth level. And that's why they have had the success now in in recent years, you know, such a small country with barely any great working conditions, but still uh, overperform. And do you think that, you know, Georgia should do something similar, you know, but obviously this must come from, across all clubs it's not enough if just one club does it but it's a it's a football in the country as a whole you know focus on proper education from already young ages and go go that kind of route in order to fulfill their their true potential i think um it's a couple of points really i think uh obviously the coach education is massive and it's not talking about like Georgian coaches have this obsession with speed ladders and hurdles and stuff like this and physical. And I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I banned speed ladders from the academy because um, they, I don't know. They, 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 they seem to spend so much time wanting to get them physically ready rather than actually playing football and, and developing their football skills. Um, I think... Uh, it's a tough one as well because the the wage, the salaries in Georgia as well, as we know, is is very low, um, especially in other football clubs other than Dynamo is very low. So although the, these types of countries like Georgia, for example, they're paid full time at like under eights, under nines, they're paid full time, you know, and in England, they don't have that. You're, you're on a hourly wage and you have another job. Even if I was Chelsea under eights coach, I would get paid for what I do and I'd have another job. But in Georgia and other countries in the region, you're paid a full-time wage to do the under eights. The problem is that full-time wage is not very high. So then they have to get another job. So then they don't sort of um, concentrate and put all their effort into the under eights which they're paid for which I totally understand. And I think uh, that, that, is, that is an issue as well. I think if you paid people better or, you know, but what is better is, is the going rate of the country at the time, isn't it? So it, it, there's a lot of factors that come into it. Absolutely. I mean, now we've kind of touched on, on the topic already, but I think for, the, for like the grand finale kind of question, uh, what do Georgia need to do to become successful? As in, you know, the league quality is what it is and it can only be improved, you know, so much, everything from pitches, but you also need the players and finances. But um, in your words, if you had the full power to change something overnight, like what would be the first couple of things that you change so that the country evolves? Because like I said, they can become the likes of, let's say, Croatia and Serbia and, you know, same sort of uh, talent pools can come out of there. Uh, if if some relevant and correct steps are are to be taken, 
Yeah, it's definitely the first thing I'll do. And the most important thing is the 7 to 11 age group. Um, it's to, to, to get specialists and coaches to understand. So, for example, in England, it's your level one coaching certificate is about that age group. And it's you've got to produce, produce lots of people that understand that age group. Because uh, if you get that age group right, you're on a winner. If you if you don't get it right, you are struggling. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Daryl. So uh, before we let you go, <laughs> because we're running out of time, uh, we're just curious to know how your future looks from this moment on in your professional uh, life and career. I mean, what's next for you? What's coming up? What would you wish? And how does it look from from this point? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I was I was so happy in Georgia. It was like I said to you, it's the best country I've I've worked in. To be honest, I loved it. Um, the people were great. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the club, and it was all a bit of a shock when I had to leave because of basically the COVID and the financial reasons. And I know I was doing a good job because of the messages I received from the players. And I think. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know what's next. I'm talking to a few clubs. I would love to go back into Georgia. I would love to uh, to to sort of continue and maybe even a head coach's job one day. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just a, such a fantastic place with pe great people. And um, there's so much unfinished business there, shall we say. <laughs> Agreed. I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm personally really fascinated, you know, uh, I think when I first discovered you, uh, it was it was on Twitter, in fact, I, d I didn't know of this kind of foreign influence uh, being in Georgia at the kind of youth level. So um, with that, I just want to really thank you for what you have done for the Georgia football and, you know, bringing the foreign influences um, and, you know, also not only that but it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to take part of your ideas and uh, personally i hope you end up in georgia again because i think you have a lot to provide and i think you can put the country in a in a very healthy direction uh, and you know i'm sure that there are many many of the ones listening to this and Kaupi and myself we do wish you like the very best of luck in your professional career go going forward no, thank you. That's very kind. And um, I hope I end up in, well, you know, I go back to Georgia as well. Um, like I said, I've got a lot of unfinished business there and um, it was just a fantastic place. And and I'm gutted because I haven't seen the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what you missed there, but uh, I'm sure there exists a couple of, you know, cosy villages that you that you might have missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of places where people talk about uh, I'd love to visit. So it's on my list. Sounds great. You know, um, we are running out of time, but I want to once again thank you for all that you've done. And uh, um, for those listening, thanks also for all of the support that you've been giving. Keep coming with comments and ideas. Uh, and until next time, we say Nachvamdis.